Well, welcome to The Crossing. So glad that you are here. I want to give a shout out to our Southeast Campus, our microsites, those who are watching online. Can we give them a big hand? Glad you're part of the Crossing family with us. Well, I just got back from Japan a couple days ago, and I need to tell you I am severely jet-lagged. I am not sleeping at night, so there is no telling what I might say during this service. There might be a viral moment that happens, you know, so just kind of just stay tuned. Well, we had a team from the Crossing go and work with our brand-new church plant in Kyoto, Japan. Here's the thing about Japan. Japan is one of the most unreached countries in the world. There's about 1% of the people who know Jesus and are Christians. Most people do not even know the story of Jesus. But our, our partners there are just doing a fantastic job. This is the fourth church plant of our partners. And today in church, they had somewhere between 400 and 500 people between those four churches, which is pretty amazing. And on top of that, we have a team in Africa right now. We have a small team that's in Cape Verde, and they are training pastors. And I say all of this because I just want to thank you for your generosity. want to thank you for your giving because when you give, you help take the gospel literally around the world. Well, a couple things before we jump in. Um, we are starting a brand new series in three weeks called At the Movies. When, when you read the gospels... Jesus would would tell real-life stories so that it could help point people towards God. He would tell these real-life stories to connect people with the truth about God because Jesus was the master storyteller. Well, in this series, we are using movies, which is our best modern-day stories, to convey some truths about God. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going to tell you ahead of time what movies we're playing. You're going to have to show up and find out when it happens. But this would be a great series for you to invite a friend. We're going to have popcorn at all the services. And because we are showing movies, we are not able to to show these online for our live streaming on our website or anything like that. The only way to get these messages is to be at one of our campuses or one of our microsites. And so we're going to start that in three weeks. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a great series for us. And then here's the last thing before we jump in. I start my sabbatical this week. I'm here at the crossing. When our pastors have completed six years, they are eligible for a three-month sabbatical. And this is that season for me. Now, one of my passions here at the crossing is to have a healthy staff. If we're going to have a healthy church, it needs to be led by healthy leaders. And with the demands of ministry and the stress and the pressures of leadership and all of the things that our pastors walk through with people, some of the tragedies in their life and funerals and deaths and all of these things, that it takes an emotional toll on your heart. And so our elders from the very beginning decided that they would give an opportunity for all of our pastors just to unplug so that they could just replenish and renew and refresh their life to have a time of rest just to get away. And so I'm going to be starting that this week, and uh, it'll give me an opportunity where where I can just begin to dream about what is next for the crossing, what God may have planned for this next season. And although you won't see me in person, I have recorded three of the At The Movies messages, so you'll kind of see me here in the next few weeks. Um, But we are today, we are in week four of our series that we're calling Explicit Lyrics. We've been walking verse by verse through this book of the Song of Solomon. 
And this book, it is just one of those books that's just hard to understand. It's because it's a song. Solomon was a songwriter. He wrote over a thousand songs, but he calls this his song of songs. This is his masterpiece. And this song is devoted to to describing human love with this one thought in mind, that God's way is better than the world's way. And this book, it, it was written like a couple in love looking back on their life. And so what we've seen is we've seen them fall in love from that first attraction. We've read their text messages to one another. We've seen their wedding. Last week, we were invited into their honeymoon suite, which is kind of weird because you read some of those verses, and you're like, I can't believe I'm reading this out of the Bible. Is it okay for me to read this? Well, today, we're going to find Solomon sleeping on the couch because if you have a relationship, then you know that relationships lead to conflict. It was a few years ago. I got a global entry card. When you travel internationally, global entry allows you to skip all the lines when you're coming back into the United States. You just go to a kiosk, you put your passport in there, you print off a slip, and so then you get to walk by those hundreds or thousands of people who are waiting to go through customs. Well, not long after I got approved, my family went on a mission trip to Nicaragua. And so as we got back, we were in, um, coming back into the country. I said to Darla, I said, since I have a global entry card, I'm just going to skip the line, and I'll meet you on the other side when you get through. <laughs> she said, please don't leave the line. I don't want to be in the line by myself. And I said, well, good news. Our girls are in the line as well, and so you can go in the line with them. I said, it'd be silly for me to wait in line. I'll just go through, I'll get all of our suitcases together, so when you come through, we'll be ready to go. Well, when she got to the other side, I had this sense that we were not okay. (laughs) It's probably when she said, I can't believe you abandoned me on the other side of the border, or something like that. (laughs) Well, fast forward a few months, and we were coming back from Israel, and so I got in line with her to go through customs. And she said, why are you in line? Why don't you just go through global entry? I said, I am not about to go through global entry again. I learned my lesson. She said, would you please just go through global entry? It's silly for you to wait in line this whole time. I said, I I don't know if this is some kind of trick. I I don't know what's happening. But I said, I am not about to leave you again. I've learned my lesson. And she says, I just feel like you're being passive-aggressive now. (laughs) I said, well, call it whatever you want. I am waiting in this line no matter how long it takes. Well, there was, yeah, don't clap. Um, (laughs) I solved that problem. I got her a global entry card, and so now we can both go through together. When it comes to conflict, every relationship has it, and every marriage experiences it. Do you know why? It's because marriages are made up of people like you. Imperfect, messed up, full of mistakes, bringing baggage into our relationships. You see, conflict is not the problem. It's the way that couples handle conflict that's the problem. Let me share with you just a few truths about conflict. Here's truth number one, is conflict exposes your true character. See, you can fake nice, 
You can say all the right things, but when you go through conflict, it exposes your true character. Because when we get hurt, we lash out, we strike back, we say things that we wished we could take back. See, conflict begins to to show what we're really like on the inside. Conflict exposes your true character. Here's a second truth. During conflict, if one of you loses, you both lose. If one of you loses, you both lose. See, if you are trying to win, if you're in a conflict, if you're in an argument and you're trying to win, if you win, then you both lose. See, the only way to win is if you both win, is if you both win. Well, here's this third truth, is that most of us try to avoid conflict at all costs. I mean, we will go out of our way to avoid conflict. You will do whatever it takes to act like conflict doesn't even exist. You just go around, you just want everybody to be happy. So, I mean, you just kind of just kind of manage everybody because you just want everybody to be happy. You act like the conflict isn't even out there. Well, here is the goal for today. That this goal for us, as we see all of these truths about conflict, our goal today is that healthy conflict leads to healthy relationships. Because the truth is, there are going to be conflicts in your relationship. If you have a relationship, there will be conflict. But healthy conflict leads to healthy relationships. See, you will argue. You will disagree. But when you learn to be vulnerable and honest and loving and healthy, it will deepen your relationship unlike anything else. Well, we're going to pick up this song in Song of Songs chapter 5. And this is Solomon's bride. This is Mrs. Solomon who is talking. She says this. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Now, you've done this, haven't you? I mean, you've gone to bed and you're kind of sleeping, but you're really not because you're tossing and turning because something is on your mind. Well, for her, she's gone to bed angry. She's holding this grudge. She says, my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Now, in Palestine, the dew actually comes down like a mist at night. So he's been out all night long. He's been out during the night. He's come in sometime in the middle of the night, and his hair is damp because it's evening time. And in those days, it was not uncommon for the wealthy to have separate bedrooms. Well, she's tucked in, she's taken her makeup off, she's under the covers, and he's working it. I mean, look what he says. He calls her my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. He is working it, and she's just ignoring him. It goes on. says, I have taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I have washed my feet, must I soil them again? This right here is Hebrew for... I've got a headache. I've taken care of the kids all day long. I've been driving them to soccer practice and dance lessons. I made dinner and you didn't even call to tell me you weren't coming home for dinner. I'll see you in the morning. I don't care what your needs are, Romeo. I've got a headache. Here's what's interesting. She said that she washed her feet. 
She says, I've washed my feet. Now, this was twofold because they would wash their feet because obviously the streets of Palestine, they were dirty and dusty. And so even the you know, even um, as you sweat just a little bit, it would just cake on your feet. And so they would wash their feet before they got into bed. But this was symbolic as well. This was symbolic because this had this idea of saying that if I've gathered sin in my life today, I want to wash it away before my head hits the pillow. But for her, she is bitter and angry. She is clean on the outside, but not on the inside goes on and it says, my beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening and my heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. She realizes that he's knocking on the door, that she opens the door, and he's finally given up, and he's just gone away. Well, when she says that I had this myrrh on my fingers, this is an invitation that she's ready for him to come in. And she opens the door, and he's gone. And she says, my heart sank. See, in the middle of this conflict, you begin to see she's beginning to soften up. That after this fight, after this anger that she's had, she's beginning to soften up to him. And then it says this. It says, I looked for him but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. See, she didn't try to sweep it under the rug. She didn't say, well, he'll just get over it. She didn't make excuses or blame him. She went immediately to resolve it. So here's what I find interesting about about this fight right here. Of all the possible fights that God could have put in Scripture, this one does not seem like that big a deal, does it? You're like, I've got a story that I could tell you. I mean, mine are way worse than this. But I think this is true about most of our conflicts. I heard some research about what causes fights in our relationships. Number five is kids. Number four is in-laws. Some of you thought... That's number one. That's number four. Number three most common cause is sexual issues. Number two is money. And the number one cause of fights is failure of communication. See, when I look back at my fights, they are not these major issues. They were these small things that just blew out of proportion until we got mad at each other. It was failure of communication. When you are in the middle of a fight, there is not a lot of productive things that can happen, but there are a lot of destructive things that can happen. Well, she speaks to her friends. Mrs. Solomon does. She says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you. If you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. She begins to speak to these friends of hers, and notice she's not trying to get them on her side. She's not saying, when you find him, you tell him how mad I am, and I'm not talking to him anymore. No, she says, you tell him I'm in love. You tell him I love him. And look how the friends respond. They say, how is your beloved better than the others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? See, here's what they're saying. You know, they don't say, well, he's just a creep. You ought to dump him. What they're saying is, why did you fall in love with him in the first place? 
Why was he better than everyone else out there? Tell us. Tell us why he is so much better. I've done lots of weddings. I've probably done a couple hundred weddings over the years. And one of the things that I do in a wedding is, is I begin to talk to all the family and the friends that are there. Because a marriage is not just about those two people. It's about the family and friends that are there as well. And one of the things that I encourage them to do is to support this marriage. I'll talk to them and I'll say, your job is to support this marriage. That you celebrate with them in the good days. And you encourage them on those hard days, those difficult days. Because that's what we do. We come together and we help each other get through those moments. And then it says, she says this. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. That she is reaffirming her love. I am his and he is mine. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. I'm not seeing anyone else. It's all about you. Then these next few verses, verses 5 through 8, Solomon talks about how beautiful she is. And he quotes word for word the words that he used on their honeymoon night. And what he is saying is, you are as beautiful to me as you've ever been. I love you more than the day that I married you. Nothing has changed. And then he says this. He says, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley, to see it if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. This means that a season has passed. He's talking about this new season. They'd endured winter. They've endured conflict. This is a symbol that they got past it, but they had to work on it. See, it takes work to focus on the good instead of the bad. Because what we normally do, what we normally do is we focus on the bad in a relationship. We focus on how they've wounded us, how they've hurt us, the things that they've done. I mean, some of us, we can bring up things that happened months or years ago. It takes work to focus on the good and not the bad in a relationship. But that is what godly people do. And then here's this last verse. It says, before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. This idea, my desire said, this is setting my mind on this. Literally, this phrase right here is my eye sockets. This is what it says in Hebrew. My eye sockets are set on you. That I am not looking anywhere else. My focus is only on this relationship. My mind is made up. We're going to work this out. And then he pulls her into his chariot. This is a sign of reconciliation. What he's referring to is what kings would do after a battle was over. They would pull the opposing king into their chariot. And it was, it was like signing a peace treaty. So they've gone through this season of conflict. They've gone through this season of winter, if you will, and they worked hard and they got to the other side. Here's this big idea about reconciliation. To go through reconciliation takes work. And here's what it means for us. Reconciliation is giving up the right to be right. See, reconciliation happens when you give up the right to be right. Every time I get into an argument, I think I'm right. I mean, don't you? I mean, I think I'm right, and so I argue my point because I'm right. Reconciliation does not happen until I give up 
that right. If you think about it, the one who has been wronged is in control. Because you can say, I'm sorry, but reconciliation doesn't happen until I accept, until I lay down my rights. See, this is, this is such a powerful concept. You have to decide to cancel a debt. This is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is deciding to cancel a debt you no longer owe me. You don't owe me anything. I don't have to be right. I don't have to win. The goal is not to be right. The goal is to be reconciled. The goal is to be reconciled. Walt Whitman said this. He said, I do not ask the wounded person how he feels. I become the wounded person. See, when you put yourself in someone else's place, when you put yourself in the wounds that they have, in the background that they've been in, see, this is an act of true humility that says, I want to feel what you feel. I want to walk in your shoes for a few minutes. The Apostle Paul talks about reconciliation in Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about this whole idea of what we do with our anger and what we do with this bitterness in our relationships. And here's what he says. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. See, for us, there there are going to be moments when you get angry. There are going to be moments of high emotion. And the command is not, don't ever be angry. The command is, be angry and do not sin. You be angry and do not sin. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. The idea of this is you don't drag today's anger into tomorrow. You don't drag whatever has made you angry and mad into the future. You resolve it. And then when he says, and do not give the devil a foothold, because this is what anger does for us. When you carry anger, you open the door for Satan to put a wedge in your marriage, a wedge between you and your spouse. What you do when you give, when you hold on to anger, you are giving Satan an opportunity to let anger and resentment build in your relationship. You're giving him the opportunity to influence you. See, we can be influenced by God and let God work in us, or we can be influenced by Satan, the enemy who wants to put a wedge in your relationship. And so Paul gives us the answer. So what do you do with all this anger? What do you do with all of this bitterness? Here's what he says. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So there you go. You want to know what to do with anger? Just get rid of it. If any of you are angry right now, you just need to stop it right now. Isn't that helpful? I mean, let's just pray and just go right there. You're like, what? Just get rid of it? What are you talking about? What do you mean just get rid of it? Well, this word, when he talks about to get rid of it, to get rid of all anger, this is the Greek word which means to remove or to separate yourself. Have you ever walked through a a spider web? I mean, you're just minding your own business. You're walking along, and it's a big spider web that you don't see it, and you walk through it, and all of a sudden you are frantically trying to get it off of your face and your hair and your clothes. That's the idea, that when you have anger, it's frantically trying to just get rid of it. We just want to get this off of us. 
But now the Apostle Paul is going to tell us how this happens. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You be kind and compassionate. You believe the best about each other. When they're late, you believe the best, not the worst. And what do you do with all of this anger? You forgive. You forgive. Forgiveness doesn't even make sense unless you're a forgiven person. You forgive just as you've been forgiven. Just as. See, here's what this means. See, this means that if you consider yourself a Christian and there is someone that you can't forgive, somewhere along the way you've lost sight of what God has done for you. See, forgiveness is not just about apologizing. At its core, it's about releasing them. It's about wiping the slate clean. Ruth Bell Graham, who is the wife of Billy Graham, she once said this. She says, a good marriage is the union of two good forgivers. A good marriage is the union of two good forgivers. I've been praying for you this week. I've been praying all week long that today would be a day of reconciliation for many of you. That today would be this day where there would be relationships that would be reconciled. I want to ask a couple questions. Here's here's question number one. What do you need to forgive? What do you need to forgive? See, all of us We have these these moments where we have a story, where we have the story that we want to talk about. We know what our spouse has said or done, and the enemy wants you to hold on to it. But God is inviting you to let go of those wounds. God is inviting you to let go of that hurt and that pain. God is inviting you to let go of that grudge that you're still holding on to. Anger is like a cancer that eats away at your soul. But forgiveness is a choice for wholeness in your life. So what do you need to forgive? What is that comment, that thing that was done, that you've been holding on to? You probably know what this is for you. Here's second question. In what way do you need to lay down your right to be right? In what way? Because if we heard your story, we would go, you deserve to feel like that. You deserve to hold on to this. But see, that'll never bring reconciliation. In what way do you need to lay down your right to be right? Reconciliation means that I'm choosing you over being right. Reconciliation means that I'm choosing my wife over being right. Reconciliation means that my wife is choosing me over her being right. It's coming together and letting God be the healer. And I want to pray for for two things. I'm going to pray in just a minute for every relationship, every marriage in this room. If you're going through difficulty right now, or maybe you're in the middle of a conflict, I'm going to pray for you that you would choose your spouse over being right. Maybe you say right now, we're going through this winter season. We're going through this struggle, but I'm not going to walk. 
I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on us. There's a second thing that I want to pray. Is I want to pray for many of you today to be open to God's love. Maybe you hear all this and you're experiencing shame and guilt. Listen, Jesus makes all things new. For some of you, today it's finally surrendering your life to Jesus. And if you've wandered away, just take a step towards him. Here's what I want to do if you are comfortable with it. I want to invite everyone who is married to stand up, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for our marriages. I want to ask every married couple, and even if your spouse is not here, for you to stand up because I want to pray for every marriage in this room. Because I just believe that God wants to bring healing and hope into you. So let me pray for you right now. God, I want to pray for every marriage here. And God, what we don't know is there are some marriages that are just barely hanging on. There are some marriages in this room right now where one of them is contemplating leaving for good. God, I pray that you would bring healing. God, you would bring reconciliation. We know that can only happen through you because the, the wounds are so deep and the pain feels so fresh. God, I'm just praying that you would bring reconciliation. You would restore relationships. You would restore people. Restore marriages. God, I want to pray for, for some couples who have been married a long time and they've made it through. They made it through the other side. That they had a season where it was so difficult and so hard. But they made it. God, I pray that you would give them some young couples in their life that they could come alongside to encourage them, to share the lessons that they've learned, to pour into a relationship that is just beginning to, to start. God, use us to bring healing in each other. So God, we pray all of this in the powerful, life-giving, name of Jesus. Amen.